going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Well, good afternoon and happy Tuesday. We're in a short work week. I'm Jody Hughes in for Joe McFarland today. He'll be back in the chair tomorrow and take you through to the rest of the week. Uh, I do want to take a chance just after about 3.40 to get some of your phone calls. Rob Breckenridge will come in and join me for just a few minutes. But uh, talk about some of the things that are on your mind that happened over this past long weekend. And we have a lot of topics that we'll be covering on our show today. You likely heard about the announcement that Netflix will be building a production hub in Toronto. They're expecting to create over 1,800 jobs in the next year and uh, leasing a huge amount of space in order to set up that facility. So coming up uh, just after 3.35, we'll be chatting with Matt Waterworth. He is the executive producer of Full Swing Productions here in the city of Calgary and Talk a little bit about what such an announcement means. There are two sides to that story. We're hearing about how uh, great it is on the one hand for the film industry, the television industry, the production industry, but then also the unfairness of it with regards to those CRTC regulations and uh, the lack of investment by some of these companies into funds that other Canadian companies do have to pay into. So we'll talk a little bit about that with Matt coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, the University of Calgary, specifically uh, one professor, Dr. Danira Exner-Cortens, has been granted over $1 million to help with a program that she's studying. It's uh, put on uh, by another group here in the city of Calgary, talking about a program called Wise Guys, just looking at our gender stereotypes. What are we doing to make sure that boys have a healthy sense of self? Can we eliminate or at least reduce dating violence? Can we make people stop being bystanders uh, to situations that could be dangerous and maybe be more proactive in the way that we approach things? So we'll be having that conversation just after four o'clock. Lots going on with that snow over the weekend. That snow route parking ban has a lot of people quite angry with the way the city of Calgary manages the roads. And uh, that's another topic I would love to cover coming up just before four o'clock, just to, with your phone calls. I was up in Edmonton this past weekend. I had a chance to see how they handle their road clearing. And uh, it's not necessarily uh, everything that it's cracked up to be here in Calgary. We had an interview last week with Phil Darlington, who did an analysis of all of the different ways that cities manage their roads and he said that in from what he can see the money that is being spent here in calgary is being used better being up in edmonton i kind of agree but we'll talk more about that coming up uh, later on today big announcement made over the weekend that netflix will be setting up this production hub in toronto promising thousands of jobs millions of dollars being spent into our movie television production uh, here in canada but it can be a bit of a slippery slope i want to welcome to the program matt waterworth matt is the executive producer of full swing productions matt thank you so much for joining us today hey thanks for having me tell me a little bit about what you do with your company well, uh, Full Swing Productions is a uh, production company here in Calgary, and we have been working towards creating uh, feature film content uh, in the province here for a long time, and we've just finished production on our second feature film, so just kind of breaking in. So as a producer here in Calgary and in Canada, uh, you run into certain regulations that you have to face. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
And, and are these the same for companies like Netflix that are setting up? Because what I'm understanding is that they have a different standard if you're an online streaming company than maybe something that you're producing. Right, absolutely. I, I mean, the uh, the question becomes whether or not you're you're broadcasting on you know the Canadian waves, and that's what the CRTC is uh, here to sort of govern. And of course, internet streaming uh, content producers like Netflix don't uh, fit that group very well. So uh, right now, we're kind of in this gray area of, of whether or not over-the-top platforms like Netflix are going to be regulated in the same way. And so an announcement like this, is this a positive to a company like you to hear that they're setting up this, this hub in Toronto and promising 1,800 jobs? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think I think it's it's a huge positive step uh, for production companies uh, in Toronto and hopefully in, in Canada and in general. Um, they, you know, they they are also uh, currently leasing space in Vancouver, and uh, you know, on a case by case basis, they do so throughout the country. But the uh, the announcement this morning is, uh, to be honest, possibly an appeasement of the CRTC. Uh, the the reality is that. Uh, there, there, there's a chance that there may be some uh, regulation coming Netflix's way, and they're they're saying, "Well, hang on, we, we're we're coming in, we're bringing these jobs. Let's let's not get too hasty here." So, so they are they are trying to you know contribute to the Canadian economy uh, in an attempt to avoid sort of having to adhere to the same rules that the broadcasters do. Well, I have tons of friends who work in the film industry, and from what I gather, they tend to always welcome the news that another production is happening on our soil. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, our, our uh, mantra at Full Swing Productions has been uh, rising tide raises all ships. So I think this is good news for everybody in the production world, for sure. Is there enough work to go around right now for folks in your industry? In Alberta? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, a, that's a rough... That, that'll take us down a whole other route. <laughs> the, the short answer is no. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Because every province does have different regulations, don't they? Uh, yeah, and different incentives as well. That's the big conversation right now in Alberta, I think, is how do we find the right incentive that's going to attract the right uh, production to our province and also stimulate local production as well. Is this uh, To me, this would seem like an evolving discussion that as we learn more about what might bring companies or, or productions to our area that we would discover, well, hang on, we thought this, inc- this uh, incentive would work, this one didn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, Alberta is actually sort of in a unique position with with our incentive. Uh, most jurisdictions have a tax credit, a labor based tax credit, whereas in Alberta we we have uh, opted to go with a grant, um, which is uh, in some ways better, in some ways worse. Um, you know, your, your larger production entities like Sony and Warner Brothers and Disney are used to working with tax credit uh, based jurisdictions. Um, so ours is a little bit foreign uh, in some sense, but it's it's an all-spend grant, which means that every dollar that gets spent uh, in Alberta on any production uh, is, is up for a rebate, not just your labor dollars. Makes sense. Matt, thank you so much for your time today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It is 341. I would like to welcome to the program my friend and someone you might be familiar with, a gentleman named Rob uh, Breckenridge. Thanks for sticking around and hanging out with me tonight. Hi, Jody. I wanted to just sort of go over some of the... I feel like this was a very busy news weekend. Uh, all kinds of topics going on The uh, you know with the SNC-Lavalin, with uh, more on uh, that topic as we take a look at this Netflix announcement. The weather had everybody cranky, <laughs> the snow route parking ban, and uh, just sort of wanted to get a gauge from you of you know where it is that you think people are at. 
Yeah, this SNC Lavalin bit of business is a really interesting one. And yesterday was kind of a day off for most of us. Uh, and then we had major news breaking in, in Ottawa that uh, Trudeau's principal secretary, uh, Gerald Butts, had resigned. Now, people maybe don't follow the ins and outs of, of Ottawa and, you know, who's who in the corridors of power. But Gerald Butts about, is about as important as it gets. This is somebody who's been with Trudeau. Really, since the early days, they go way back, even before Trudeau even considered getting into politics, let alone running for the leadership of the Liberal Party. And, you know, a lot of people see Gerald Butts as kind of the strategist who navigated Trudeau to the leadership, navigated him to to the prime minister's office. And for him to to fall on the sword yesterday, everyone was just struggling to make sense of all of this. Why would Trudeau let his most trusted confidant resign? And if Gerald Butts is insisting that he did nothing wrong, then why is he resigning in the first place? So... We're all struggling still to make sense of that. And then we get some twists and turns today on this story. It now appears as though the Commons Justice Committee, which last week said there was no point in calling uh, the former Attorney General, Jody Wilson-Raybould, to testify. Now it seems as though the Liberals on the committee are going to go along with that. So you wonder if all of this is is connected, if uh, we're we're about to learn some more about this story. Is there another shoe to drop? Or, Or maybe the Liberals are now working after spending a week uh, antagonizing and throwing Jody Wilson-Raybould under the bus, maybe they finally realize that that's a bad strategy and maybe they'd be much better off if they tried to find some way to bring her back into the folds and maybe some indication that that was happening today. So, yeah, that remains, I, I think, top of mind for a lot of people, uh, certainly for politics watchers, this I, this whole weird scandal. I also think it's something that people who aren't necessarily even politics watchers are starting to key on, in on and say, well, hang on a second. This almost seems you know, remiss of something we would see down south of the border. But I, I found what I felt was quite telling is the way that Trudeau reacted to uh, when you know he was he was addressing Jody as Jody. Uh, you know, he didn't have the same sort of warm and fuzzy message when she was uh, was leaving as, as he and I get that uh, him and, and uh, Mr. Butts are, are friends but I mean I just think it was a little bit telling in the way that he approached both of those scenarios it didn't seem to be equitable to me no and I, I think you know what he said and what a lot of anonymous liberals were saying last week seemed to really I think make the story worse for them uh, just that it made them look uh, petty and vindictive obviously Jody Wilson-Raybould was not able to speak out and defend herself and the, the narrative kept shifting as to, you know, who might have done what or why she uh, was demoted from cabinet, why she resigned from cabinet last week. A lot of shifting explanations. And like I said, a lot of it seemed as though they were blaming her or throwing her under the bus or casting aspersions on her. So today it was interesting because uh, cabinet uh, met before uh, question period today. And apparently Jody Wilson-Raybould was present at that cabinet meeting was she uh, invited to come say something did she indicate that she wanted to say something to cabinet was she uh, perhaps trying to to mend some fences here or was she preparing them for whatever bombshell she's going to announce whatever she can speak publicly it's yeah it's really unclear i mean she holds a lot of the cards here she can come out and she can say look there's no story here i was not pressured to do anything uh the story's not true i think that would largely make it go away on the Mm -hmm. other hand she can come out and she can say hey i was pressured and here's who did it and here's what they said to me and she can make this whole thing a lot lot worse for the government so she holds a lot of cards right now i also wonder about what kind of spin they will take depending on what her message is you know will this be something that that you feel like right now it feels like there's a lot of damage control going on regardless of who's guilty of what 
Right, and maybe what they were trying to do last week was to maybe chip away at her credibility out of fear that she was going to say something damaging, and maybe that would be their way of, of trying to counter that. On the other hand, maybe they realized that it's not a good idea to make her our enemy, and perhaps we should be trying to, to uh, see what it is she's concerned about or what we can do to keep her happy. And, and a lot of people speculating, well, maybe she had issues with, with Gerald Butts, and maybe that's the, the price here, that um, she's prepared to let bygones be bygones uh, if Gerald Butts is removed from his position. If that's someone she butted head with, heads with or had a problem with, Maybe there's some connection there that uh, we'll get rid of Gerald Butts if uh, you decide to come back into the liberal fold and we'll all make nice and, and move on and pretend this whole thing never happened. Seems like there's so much scrutiny nowadays on, uh, you know, and really it depends on where you side on a lot of these stories on whether or not you uh, care about the scrutiny or whether you're willing to just overlook it, you know, even though you might have some information right in your face that uh, this is a significant matter and we do need to be talking about it. Let's get back into that in just one second. It is 347. Well, good afternoon. I'm Jody Hughes in for Joe. I've got Rob Breckenridge with me. We're just going over some of the topics from the weekend. One of them would definitely be weather and roads. And Rob, uh, Brad has called in. He's been waiting patiently. Brad, you wanted to chat a little bit about the roads. Yeah, just quickly, Jody. Just so everyone knows, like, I'm one of the guys out here plowing. We don't plow any drivers on purpose. We have a lot of roads to do. Mm-hmm. And when you put the igloo on the street... You're not supposed to shovel your snow onto the street. So we're, when we come through with the graders, it's got one place to go, right back where you took it from. Well, and Brad, I have to say, so last week I had a chance to chat with Phil Darlington up in Edmonton. He did a really in-depth analysis of the money we spent, and he gave Calgary full credit and said, listen, for the money that's spent, the number of roadways we have to cover more than anywhere else, uh, and the efficiency in which roads get cleared, it is, a, there's, and the dollars spent, uh, you know, f- to pay you guys up in Edmonton, he pointed out they're getting paid much more to work much slower and get much less done. And I was up there driving around, and I, I I actually said out loud, you know, Phil had a great point. I came back to Calgary and I saluted you guys. So thank you for all your hard work. I'm a a contractor. I'm not cheap. (laughs) I'm not trying to make more, but like I'm not, I own my own grader. I'm self-employed. So my my rate's expensive, right, compared to just hiring a guy at $25 an hour to run the grader. Right. And it's it's also, there's a lot of people, they own a house, they have a back lane with a garage, they park everything out front. Yep. Why? Why? Like, I, I, own, I own the same kind of property. Guess where I park? In my garage in the backyard. Well, it, seem, it can seem logical, can it? Thank you so much for your call, Brian. Thanks. Did you notice that, the roads this weekend and the, the weather? I mean, how did you fare? Well, I didn't find it all that bad. I mean, I, I guess I understand why they went ahead and, and called the snowward parking ban. The timing was interesting, though, maybe with the long weekend and family day. Everybody, mm-hmm. you know, was, was kind of doing things. Did people know that it was in effect? It was noon yesterday when it came into effect. As of 9 a.m. this morning, over 1,000 tickets had been issued. I will say, I, when I was leaving town on Friday, I heard the warning, listen, it's likely to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, give your keys to someone if you're going out of town. So I know they tried to give that notice. Right, which, look, if we're going to have this, then that's what they got to do. I mean, it's, I'm sure, you know, that's a lot of frustrated people who either would say, look, I didn't know, or what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to put my vehicle? And it happens every time. It does. It's a challenging one. Uh, Jason calling in. He also wants to weigh in on this. Uh, good afternoon, Jason. Hey, guys. Um, I just wanted to quickly uh, 
point out, I was listening to the, the conversation last week, Jody, that you had with the guy up in Edmonton, and they were saying how, you know, uh, Calgary plows their roads so much faster than here, like a week sooner. You know, they get all of their roads done. I just wanted to point out that, I mean, I live up in Sage Hill, and my road hasn't been plowed since I've lived there in over six years. So we definitely aren't getting all of our roads plowed in seven days. Um, and secondly, for the caller that just called in regarding the, uh, you know, when the, uh, when the grader goes by and we shouldn't be pushing our snow out, I personally push out most of my snow onto the road, mostly because with all the added salt that's on the roads, it ruins my grass. And I don't see the city paying for me to fix my grass in the summer. So all that kind of crap is going to go back out of the roads. And my roads doesn't get plowed anyways. <laughs> you're, you're kind of in the no man's land. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Thanks so much for that call, Jason. Thanks. It is true. Depending on where you live, I suppose, you're not considered to be one of those priority routes. And, you know. Well, we see it in the past. I remember, you know, some years ago, and there was a massive snowfall. There were whole neighborhoods, uh, especially in, in the north, mm-hmm. that were just basically snowed in. It, didn't, uh, were, it had impassable roads. Obviously, we're not in that kind of a situation. But still, yeah, the city has to prioritize. And that, that's just the reality. It can be tricky for sure. And I know that, you know, officially we only had 11 centimeters of snow. Again, we're in a huge city. Some areas definitely saw more than that. Thank you for extending your afternoon and hanging out with us. Thanks, Jody. Always appreciate it. Uh, Coming up after four o'clock, we will uh, talk a little bit more about uh, some of these conversations. Get into our candy desk, look at the culture in your office and uh, make sure you stop by Bill's desk and get some candy, Rob. Uh, It is 3.53. Well, good afternoon. I'm Jody Hughes in for Joe. Welcome to a seasonal day, dare I say. It hasn't been this warm since the beginning of the month. So uh, certainly a time to enjoy it. A big announcement made last week that $1.25 million would be going to help to study a program called Wise Guys. This program created and ministered by Calgary Centre for Sexuality. I'd like to welcome to the program Dr. Dayanara Exner-Cortens. She's the University of Calgary professor with the Faculty of Social Work and the coming School of Medicine. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about this grant. Yeah, so we were really fortunate to receive five years of funding from the Public Health Agency of Canada, myself and my partner, the Centre for Sexuality, to both deliver and then research a program called Wise Guys, which is a gender transformative healthy relationships program for young men. And what specifically is that? Yeah, no, I know it can sound jargony. (laughs) We know that some of the um, norms that young men are expected to conform to can really hurt their own health. We also know that some of those norms are linked um, to violence. And so Wise Guys was developed first really as a sexual health program, but has really expanded to become a program designed to prevent violence perpetration, but also to improve the mental and sexual health of young guys in the program. And tell me how you would find these young men. We're looking at 14, 15-year-old boys. How do you find them and and what are you, how does this program look? Yeah, so um, Wise Guys is typically offered in the school settings. It's offered in some other settings as well, but for our study, we'll be primarily focusing on the school setting. Um, And the facilitators who are amazing go out usually the spring before and tell grade eight boys about this opportunity. And then guys um, are welcome to join on their own or sometimes a parent or a teacher will gently encourage them to join, but participation is always voluntary. 
And are, is it a discussion-based program? Is it to just sort of an awareness, a conversation to teach them about uh, just those those typical gender roles or the roles that we might see imprinted on us from our social settings? Sure, yeah. So they do a lot of discussion. That's really important to kind of think about, you know, what do young guys feel they have to be and what would they want to be? So there's a big focus on identity development. There's also role playing and skill building. We know that's really important. You know, we know most young men are not going to perpetrate violence, but they will witness a lot of it. Um, and so a big goal for us and actually the key outcome for this study is what we call bystander behavior, um, which is basically if you see something happening that supports violence, say something or try to stop it. And so we do role playing and skill building specifically around that, um, as well as sexual health components in the program. What kinds of violent encounters are these young men often witnessing? Is it something within their peer group? Is it something they might see at home or just out on the street? Absolutely. So we know most teen dating violence, which is the focus of this grant, happens, or a lot of it happens when there's other people around witnessing. Um, and there's a couple of things people can do. So we know intervening even before the violence happens is important. So if you hear a friend talking about their partner in a really derogatory way, you can say something there and that helps violence um, not be supported. If it's actually happening and it's safe to do so, you might be able to intervene during the incident or after, you know, if someone comes to you and tells you that they've experienced this, you can be a really supportive listener and connect them to helping resources and believe what they're saying. So there's lots of different ways to intervene. I think sometimes people think it's about being in the moment, um, but there's lots of different ways people can support a violence-free society. How much of a problem is this? So in Canada, unfortunately, we don't have national data, but we do know from a recent study in BC um, that about one in 20 teens in that study experienced physical dating violence. Um, from U.S. national statistics, we know that's more like one in 10. Um, so it is a substantial minority of teens. And so it's really important for all parents and teachers to talk about healthy relationships, what that looks like, um, and to encourage teens that if they're not feeling safe, that it's okay to come forward and seek help. And so your grant, you're planning to study the effectiveness of this program. How do you gauge that? So we're going to be doing that a couple of ways. The biggest part of this study um, is looking at outcomes in about 700 boys, um, boys who take the program and boys who don't, um, assessing them before the program, after, and one year later to look at how they're doing on a number of outcomes, including that bystander behavior that I talked about. We also look to see how well the program is being implemented, um, the programs being implemented in different places across the province, so how boys in different settings are responding. Um, and we also use photos to evaluate. So we get guys to take photos of um, their understanding of what it means to be a guy before and after the program and, and use that to evaluate. So lots of different ways we'll be looking at the program. What kinds of directions are we going where things are going wrong when you're talking about what it means to, you know, with that identity of, of being a boy, being a male, where are we going wrong? You know, I think we try to stay away from going wrong rather than thinking about sort of what are the norms that boys might feel that they have to conform to. And we know norms around being powerful, being in control, restricting emotions and feeling like you can't say how you feel. We know that that's really bad for the health of all genders. Um, and so 
what this program tries to do is really allow boys to explore who would they like to be outside of the expectations of society, who would they like to be, um, and really find that identity for themselves. And the guys in our program always say, you know, what a great opportunity it is to actually get to talk about these issues. We know that young boys want to talk about how they feel and their emotions, but there's not always a safe space for them to do that. And so this program really gives them that space. It seems to me like we're in a very interesting time culturally where this generation, I have kids, this generation of kids is looking at the world through a different set of eyes. So will one of your challenges Mm -hmm. be that you have a, a set of parents that were raised with certain societal norms that are now trying to educate or deal with the changing uh, upcoming generation. Would that be one of the challenges? So we encourage all parents to get involved with their child and to understand what their child is learning. And we try to reach out and work with parents. So that would be more my partner at the Center for Sexuality because we know they're a really important part of the equation. And there might be things that, you know, are new to them or they don't know about. And we also know that parents of this age group are often looking for support in parenting in that mid-adolescent period. And so um, I wouldn't think of it as a challenge, rather an opportunity to engage and grow together. It is true. This is, from what I can tell, one of the first generations that does seek so much input into how they're parenting. I don't recall seeing that before. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really exciting opportunity. You know, I study adolescent development and we know there's so much support at the zero to five age and then it kind of drops off even though parents are really desperate um, for that support and information. And so the Center for Sexuality offers parenting workshops around this stuff to really help parents sort of think about their own expectations and norms and maybe things they might want to see a little differently for their child. Um, And so I think it's great that there's resources that parents can uh, seek out as well. That's wonderful. Well, congratulations again. Great work being done at the University of Calgary and especially by you and your program. Thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thank you. Well, now this is finally weather where you want to get out and skate on your outdoor hockey rink. I know a lot of the kids in our neighborhood have been itching to get back outside and enjoy this nice weather. And with that in mind, I'd like to welcome to the program Andy Thiessen. He's the Fund Development Director for the Parkdale Community Association. Thank you so much for joining us, Andy. Hey, thanks for having us, Jody. really appreciate the opportunity. Tell us a little bit about what's happening in your community. I understand that, uh, like many of the uh, more established communities in Calgary, you guys have an outdoor skating rink, but it's really getting to the sort of end of its life cycle. You know, that's a great way to, a great way to put it. Um, it's been around for 35 years and four decades worth of families have enjoyed it and, you know, used it for various things. And um, had a great time. It's just, um, you know, it's come to that point where Zamboni doors are welded shut. um, The boards are falling apart. And, you know, ultimately, it's a bit of a safety concern, as well as, you know, we'd like to replace it with something that uh, is both new and safe and so on. And that's where the kind of the idea started. And then we... uh, you know, grew from there. And you really did start to look at this a little bit differently. My, I have kids, they often hit the ODR, as they like to call it, to the outdoor rink. And it's, it really is such a part of being a Canadian kid. But not every Canadian kid can go out to, to their local ODR. And so you guys are looking at, to, at really making this an opportunity to add some inclusivity and accessibility. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to be honest, like when we 
kind of looked into the project here about uh, you know replacing the rink and and making this all possible. We wanted to make sure that it was inclusive for everybody. And you know some of the new buildings these days and the new venues and they're building indoor rinks with that accessibility or inclusive component to it. And uh, we wanted to do the same with our project. So. One thing led to another, and you know what? We looked into it and found out that uh, we could become the first rink in Western Canada that uh, was completely inclusive, basically making it you know, fully accessible to sledge hockey players or, or anybody that can come and enjoy this community facility. And what do you have to do to a rink to make it more accessible? You know, everything from uh, you know leveling the ground, adding ramps, you know, eliminating stairs, mm-hmm. um, making the, the boards um, on the one side where the players' benches and penalty boxes are actually clear mm-hmm. so that uh, players on their, on their sledge can actually see onto the ice and be visible, as well as direct access for ramps right onto the ice. And then, you know, to go even farther, we'll have uh, outside locker rooms that will be heated, as well as bathroom accessibility and so forth, and really make it that family venue that everybody can enjoy. I think this is just such a wonderful idea. And you guys have, I mean, you've done some research and found a couple of grants that you can have access to, but you need to raise a portion of the money yourself. Yeah, we do. You know what? Um, we, we originally reached out and, and secured our provincial grant for the, just the legacy project, just because the rink was so old. And so we have that grant secured at 125000 But to access that grant, we actually have to come to the table and do our portion as far as raising funds. So we have a GoFundMe page, and um, we're hoping to generate about 165000 from that. And then that really kind of opens up uh, different avenues as far as the accessibility grants and accessibility in sports. And we're kind of applying for as many grants as we can because... You know, although we're just a small little community of Parkdale here in Calgary, we do need all of Calgarians and and the support of everybody to get behind this project. How much more expensive is it to build this rink compared to your average outdoor rink? To be honest, it's really not. Like, there's minimal cost uh, involved. It's just a design component. And then, like I said, involving that company, uh, you know, level playing field and their consulting aspects to make sure that it's accessible to everybody. So we we think we could do it for about the same funds. It's just, um, you know, designing it and then hopefully taking those plans and allowing those to be the the standard or the staple moving forward for other communities to model. What is your plan for getting the word out about this project? Well, obviously, you know, media outlets like yourself and, you know, have gained a lot of interest here recently and we're going to do everything we can. Um, you know, all of us are, are volunteers on this board and committee and directors and so forth. And we're going to do everything we can to, to, you know, try to get notoriety to allow as many people to get involved as possible. So we're always asking for volunteers or, you know, just the, the smallest donation here or there could help. It sure can. If people want to find your GoFundMe page. Yeah, the, the GoFundMe page is actually, you can visit our uh, Parkdale website. Uh, you can also visit us on Facebook. We're also on Instagram. We're also on Twitter. Um, You know, additionally, we've reached out to our local hockey communities as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Calgary Sledge Hockey Group is excited about the opportunity to have an event out at uh, the new rink. Um, Hockey Canada is looking into, you know, hosting something once we get it built. And additionally, the uh, the Flames and the Calgary Hitmen have both been interested in how they can get involved and help us generate funds. Well, I look forward to having this conversation in a short time and hearing that you have managed to raise the money and we're moving forward with this. Thank you so much for your time, Andy. 
Hey, thanks for the opportunity, Jody. Really appreciate the support. As promised, I thought we should get into the discussion about the roads. Tiffany Lise, meteorologist for Global Calgary, joins us now. Thanks for coming on the show, Tiffany. No problem. Thanks for giving me a call, Jody. Now, you're covering a story. We've had a few emails come into our mailbox saying, listen, mm-hmm. enough is enough. I can't get out of my driveway. What is happening? So tell us a little bit about the story you're chasing. Well, today I was going around talking to people whose driveways were blocked from these large windrows that are left behind from city crews who are going along and clearing streets because the crews are now onto those priority two residential areas. And what's happening is on the side of the roads, they're leaving these huge snow windrows and they can be really tall sometimes. Uh, we were seeing some today that were about up to your knees or higher. And that can be pretty tricky for residents kind of around Calgary. Um, we also spoke to a, to a gentleman today who was around 70 years old who goes out and shovels it all by himself. But just a couple doors down, there was a lady who had just had surgery. Her husband's out of town. And yesterday, she had a gentleman who she had paid to come and clear her sidewalk and her, str- and her driveway, rather. And the next morning when she left her house to bring her kids, to school she realized city crews had gone out again at night and uh, she was blocked in and so it, it can be really challenging because of course they have a job to do their job is to clear mm-hmm. the streets and mm-hmm. uh, we do all understand that but in cases like that it can be really frustrating for residents absolutely and jody it's not easy to go out and just shovel these uh these windrows especially when they're up to your knees or higher two three feet tall uh and because Sometimes it's it's snow that's packed together, so they're in chunks, and it can be dangerous for someone who is elderly, especially, to get out there and shovel that themselves. So the city of Calgary uh, did say when I spoke with them today that if somebody uh, thinks that the windrow out front of their driveway is too tall or too difficult to shovel, you can contact them, and they will come out and assess and uh, have it cleared for you. And I think that's the thing is obviously, like I was saying, like the crews are not out there trying to make people's lives difficult. No. And a lot of these streets, uh, often you can find it where uh, vehicles are parked on major thoroughfares, whether or not there's no parking bans and these cars totally get uh, locked in with windrows all around them. And I drive by every winter and think, man, that would absolutely suck trying to get your car to that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you hope, and the city does try to get out as quickly as possible. Luckily, the lady I spoke to today, she said her neighbor was able to come out and take her kids to school and another neighbor was able to bring them home, which uh, she was very grateful for. Um, She contacted the city and the city was hoping to get out today, if not uh, tomorrow. But that can be tricky if you're stuck in your driveway for an entire day. That's not easy. And then just down the road from her, there was a bus stop that had a really large windrow in front of it. So anyone who needs to step over it uh, would have difficulty if someone had a stroller or was in a wheelchair. Uh, that just causes, causes a lot of issues. For sure. Tiffany, thanks so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Of course. And that's Tiffany Lise, meteorologist at Global Calgary. And as I was saying, we've had almost 28 centimeters of snow this February. Typically, we see about 14.5 on average. This February, much better than the one we had last year. Not that this helps you if you're sitting there frustrated, but uh, last February, we ended up with 43.3 centimeters. So we had about triple uh, what we normally would see for our average amount of snowfall. So that can really be a problem, especially when it comes in these massive waves that we'll get often in snow events in the city of Calgary, where 
you get a huge dump of snow in just one or two days. Luckily, though, it is warming up. So if you do have snow to move, it should ideally be a little bit easier as it should have had a chance to melt a bit today. It is 547. Thanks so much for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. When you do, don't forget to write the show and leave a comment. Until next time, my friends. 